Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrei Matyshak, and I work as the Deputy Head of Foreign Desk in Slovak Davy Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it's not Russian Pravda. How much is Haiti a functioning state in the situation where 300 gangs are active across the state and the government cannot enforce its authority in quite a few areas? Not to mention the widespread problem of kidnappings. All of this is happening as Haiti remains the poorest country in Latin America and the Caribbean region. Can it be at least part reserved by the expected UN-backed Kenya security mission? What can be done about the power of the gangs, and how do these criminal structures operate? I talked to Diego Durin, a consultant in the International Crisis Group for Latin America and the Caribbean. Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. Let me hear the sentence from the BBC coverage. About 300 gangs are active across Haiti, and 80% of the capital, Port-au-Prince, is under gang control. In concrete terms, what does it mean that it's under gang control? Does it mean that the state cannot enforce its authority there? It's interesting to, to really dive in to the specifics of how do the control of the gangs mean in concrete terms. In, for example, in the capital, they roam freely quite all over the place, except for some very specific areas of the upper scale neighborhoods in Pétionville. But they really control all the lower parts of the capital, which is the part of the coast where there are the main ports and all the fuel that comes in. And that's very important because in Haiti, when you control the fuel, you control the country because everything, electricity works with fuel. So they have built their strongholds around important and critical infrastructure for them to be able to extort from important corporation and business persons. And their strongholds have been built also in those same areas that are the most poor neighborhoods of Port-au-Prince and in a very complex terrain with very narrow streets where there is very difficult access for the security forces. And in those areas, there is different layers of control. But in those really uh, fully controlled areas by the gangs, not only the state is completely absent and the security forces are not able to enter those areas for months, sometimes for years or even decades. And they are the de facto authorities in there. You said that there are de facto authorities there. So does it mean that Haitian gangs also provide some services for the people? Or they just focus on criminal activities. In many places around the world, the criminal gangs or even militias are providing some services for the local people. The aim is to control the population and to strengthen their authority. The gangs don't have the overall the support of the local population in the areas they control, but in the previous years they relied on in this support to ensure they controlled of these populations. But for example, right now, as they control the main roads and the gateways to the capital, they hijack 
freight trucks with different commodities, uh, mainly essential goods, and they resell them. And sometimes they just distribute these stolen commodities in the neighborhoods they control. So yes, they provide some services, for example, they try to get credit for even letting trucks with drinkable water to their neighbor. They try to profit from that, as they are the ones who allow the water to enter, who sometimes offer for the day of the water, they, they offer some things to people, but they do not provide, for example, education, healthcare. They have built also foundations that divert the humanitarian aid that comes to these neighborhoods and they are the ones who take credit from distribution of the humanitarian aid sometimes. How were those gangs established? It is a very long and intricate story, history, because in Haiti there has been many illegal armed groups that have some kind of link with the state and with the elites, with the economic elites. But when Jean-Bertrand Aristide, who was the first democratically elected president in the 90s, he was ousted and then he came again to power. And in his second term, between 2000 and 2004, he facilitated the creation of self-defense groups in lower-income neighborhoods to try to defend not only these neighborhoods, but also his political movement from the threats of right-wing paramilitaries that were born after he disbanded the army in the early 90s. So these gangs over time that were at the beginning only self-defense groups or kind of militias, they started engaging in criminal activities to get money and then the links with the political movement waned and they evoluted to only criminal actors. Now they don't have most gang leaders there's some exceptions, but most gang leaders don't have political ambitions. They don't have links to political parties because of their ideas or their values, but because of the money they can give them. Can you please elaborate a bit more on how the links between gangs and political elites were interrupted? Well, as their armies increased in numbers, which permitted them to have more influence in the relations with people with power, they started to realize that they didn't have to obey everything they were asked to do and that they could demand things as well as, for example, appointing people in state institutions for them to have more money, for example. And then that creates tensions and clashes between the people who were their kind of masters and that funded them. And now that as they didn't need them so much in an economical uh, point of view, many people ask, what is the goal of the gangs? What is the aim? What, what are they looking for? And many of the gang leaders are just people from very poor neighborhoods between 18 and 26, 27 years who have born in very difficult situations in violent contexts. They have been engaged in gangs since they are little kids or youngsters, and that's the only thing they know and the only way they can be recognized as being somebody who is valuable, being a criminal and violent and ruthless leader. And the only goal is to increase their power. 
And so that's another reason why maybe the kind of relations they had with some members of the elites were preventing them from expanding their power as they wished to. So perhaps the obvious question, how much is Haiti a functioning state? Also in the past, we have seen violent intra-elite conflicts that were sometimes misused by the regional powers in their efforts to control the political process in Haiti. Many analysts say that Haiti is a failed state, but Haiti has a state that has been in a state of collapse for some years and is increasingly dysfunctional, but some public services are still functioning. For example, the police is still functioning. And this comes, well, trying to get a quick summary here. There was a peacekeeping mission that last that was in Haiti between 2004 and 2017 that was called the MINUSTA. When the peacekeepers from the MINUSTA left the country, the Haitian security forces were not in shape to take over. So the gangs increased their power, their military power and their political influence. And under the administration of President Jovenel Moïse, the president who was killed two years ago in July 2021, there are very well-documented cases of a very strong links between very high officials from his government with very powerful leaders from the gangs to try to quell the demonstrations that weakened his tenure. And so since these very big demonstrations, the executive was very weak. There is not elections in Haiti since 2016. The last elected officials were the 10 members of parliament whose mandate expired in January. And there's only one person who is in charge of almost everything, who is the acting prime minister, Ariel Henry, who was appointed by Jovenel Moïse two days before he was assassinated. There was a struggle between different high-ranking officials of the government to take over after Moïse's assassination. And it was the backing of the international community that facilitated for Ariel Henry to take over. And since then, he has only had a very narrow and weak coalition that hasn't allowed to form an inclusive and legitimate government to really put in place a transitional structure to not only organize elections, but to try to get in shape as much as possible the institutional structure of the state. Diego, as I'm a journalist, I'm curious to know How dangerous would it be to travel to Haiti to work there as a journalist to cover some stories? Previously, I visited Afghanistan or South Sudan. What are the biggest risks in Haiti for journalists? Well, the main threat we'll be facing is kidnapping because over the past three years, the gangs have become increasingly independent from the elites that before were the members of the elites that were like their masters and they acted as mercenaries for them and really trying to just acting for the interests of the people who were funding them and providing them weapons to do things. But since 2018, 2019, they have been acquiring very much an independence that they didn't have because they started to diversify, not all gangs rely on kidnapping, 
but right now we have the highest records of kidnapping in uh, recent history in Haiti and everybody is targeted not only people who have money and sometimes there are collective kidnappings with gangs that hijack a bus full of people or sometimes there are uh, targeted kidnappings so yes this is the main threat but as the situation is really uncertain on how the gangs are trying to act sometimes you can have a gang that is invading an area that is considered as safe so you have to be be very careful on the information you have on the areas you may be going because gangs sometimes tell by social media when they are going to engage in some kind of invasion or attack And if you are a journalist, you may be the only one who can access with being safe to gang strongholds. Not in every gang area, because there are gang leaders who are trying to portray themselves as not only criminals and military leaders, but also protectors of the poor and kind of a progressist and almost revolutionary leaders. So this... People need not only local information, but the lights of international media outlets to let the world know that they are not only criminals. Well, convince the world that they are not only criminals, even if they have perpetrated egregious crimes and mostly against civilians. How do the kidnappings work? Are people willing and able to pay? Because as you said, The gangs are targeting also poor people, not just rich people. Families uh, just get try to make some crowdfundings with people from the diaspora. And even if they don't have enough money to eat, and it's a, re a question I really ask myself, there's some people where that I don't know where they get the money from to pay these ransoms. And sometimes what is happening now that your loved one is not freed after the payment of the first ransom, sometimes it's after the second or the third. The UN Security Council approved a Kenyan-led multinational security force for Haiti. And every promised around 1,000 police officers. The Kenyan court temporarily blocked the deployment. But do you think that this mission can make a difference? What are the pros and cons of such a mission? That will depend on different things. Kenya committed 1,000 police officers, but what officials from the Kenya government said recently is that they won't send just ordinary police officers. These will be members of a specialized unit that is called the General Service Unit that are really trained to engage in, in urban warfare and they are very skilled that have high-end equipment and weaponry so they could make a difference as in Haiti you have a shrinking police institution with only 10,000 police officers and to reach the recommended ratio of police officers to population Haiti should have 25,000 or more so in Haiti there's less than half the police officers they need and there's a very little army but that doesn't engage in combat with gangs. So if you have very specialized units that are coming to Haiti, they could make a difference because right now there's an anti-gang unit that was created one year and a half ago. They only have around 200 officers, but 
they have been conducting very successful operations, but they are not enough right now. And in the security mission, there won't be only the 1,000 police officers Kenya committed. Kenya has asked for contributions to reach at least a 2,000 strong force. I think that a security mission won't just take over all the gang-ridden areas in some weeks or some months. This will be a mission that will maybe last for some years. We don't know yet. Their goal, their stated goal, one or the, of their stated goals in the resolution of the Security Council is to restore security, regain control of legal infrastructure, roads that connect capital to other regions of the country, the ports, the terminals, the airports, the high courts there that are controlled right now by the gangs, and create conditions to organize free and fair elections. It is very improbable, very unlikely that elections will be organized next year. So we might be bracing for an operation that could be at least if the Security Council renews the mandate in nine months when they will be discussing again the mandate of this mission, they might be able to regain in this first year of the operation some ground to the gangs and at least change the balance of power between the Haitian security forces and the gangs. But it'd be unrealistic to think that a 2000 strong force with a very weak police institution in Haiti will be able to defeat the gangs in a number of months. Do you think that the gangs will strongly resist the UN force? Do you expect heavy clashes? If there are successful operations conducted, for example, in not so very complex terrains as the roads capital Port-au-Prince to the north of the country and to the south, these two roads are not so intricate. There are no complex slums in that surrounding areas. So if they are able to regain control of these areas and to show the strength and the determination of the joint operations of the Haitian security forces and the foreign multinational force, this could work as a deterrent for gangs to engage in direct confrontation with this foreign and Haitian personnel. This would be very important to do to avoid clashes in very densely populated areas in the very strongholds of the gangs, Desfolet, in Village de Dieu, where clashes might result in many civilian casualties. I have to admit that I am somewhat skeptical about the security operation, but it remains to be seen. Surely, and in Haiti, there's also very skeptical people who not only think that why could this be different than in previous interventions, but most Haitians also think that this is the only hope they have right now. Even if it's a slim hope, the Haitian police is not in any shape not only to fend off gang attacks, push them, and of course, they are not able to defeat the gangs right now. And they need a temporary backing of a foreign force to try to regain the upper hand. And what is very important, when the Minusta was in Haiti, they achieved to, to lower the levels of violence, to arrest and kill most of the gang leaders were operating in the country. Humanitarian aid was flowing. But as soon as they left, the gangs 
began to regain the upper hand over the Haitian security forces. We have to understand that as, uh, only a security center strategy won't allow to solve Haiti's problems. We need to sever the links between the elites and the gangs. For this, you have to have uh, well, uh, severe sanctions from the international community towards them, but also prosecutions in Haiti against these corrupt and people who are in collusion with criminal actors. For this to happen, you need to have reform of the justice sector in Haiti because the executive power has a strong power to say which judge will be conducting which case. And well, and also, you, you need to have security forces that are able to secure the whole territory and protect the lives of the civilians. And for the three days to happen, you need to double the size of the police. And that won't happen in one or two years. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also the description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. Thank you.